Hello and welcome to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. This is Lemuel. And we are back this week with a bit of a twist, a bit of a turnaround for the for the uh, format of the show. But before we get there, how was your week? Uh, my week was really busy, but it was good. It was enjoyable. I had a good week. It was more productive than I thought it would be. Ha! Mine was not very productive. You know, you untied the Gordian knot. I did. Which is more than Alexander the Great could do. I have been knitting uh, an afghan because it's my first knitting project, so why wouldn't I do something that's going to take 300 hours? And my dark green was unraveling, so I thought I would, you know, ball it up into a nice tight ball. And it was going fine until it wasn't. And then it took me six hours to untangle. And those six hours were between 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. So I was grateful today to have a Sunday where I could recover from that. It was one of the rare occasions when I was physically frightened by you. I was so really mad. Terrible I was exhausted. By 12.30, all I wanted to do was be in bed. And I was... I couldn't leave it. I couldn't walk away from it. It was a disaster. And you did it. Um, I remember... I just hope I saved enough of the damn yarn that I don't run out trying to finish this damn thing in four months or whatever. I worked with the kids in elementary school. I was an academic mentor. We were reading a book called Maniac McGee. Hmm, that sounds... Vaguely familiar. It's about a character who becomes sort of a neighborhood legend, and one of his feats was to untie a knot that nobody could untie. Uh, and if you did, you got a free pizza. The trick with my pro- mine was it wasn't a knot. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was several knots, because right. I just got a little ahead of myself and thought, oh, if I do this, then this will happen. But I, I didn't understand the physics of yarn, which are very different than the physics of, you know, pants or chairs or other things. I didn't know that yarn had physics. I it, guess. Yes, it does. It turns out, it turns into a black hole. String theory. Yes. Oh, no. We're going to get real. No, I'm not no, doing no. yarn puns. Not no, today. No. Not today. You have to leave that one in. Though. <laughs> that All one right. <laughs> so let's get to the show. So this week is the culmination of my podcasting dream because I said only about 10% joking (laughs) that I started this whole thing to get you to watch Clueless. And this week I have succeeded. I was there the whole time, so I know that you watched it. Uh, I was stunned to learn how much of this movie I have memorized. Uh, So that's a shame. At some point I was... (laughs) hoping that you turn off the TV and actually perform all the parts yourself. I thought about it, and then I was like, ooh, do I want to be that person? I kind of do want to be that person, truth be told, but I wanted you to see it, and I tried to be quiet with my interjections. Interjections. I made him watch Clueless, man. Yeah. And I... I made you watch Citizen Kane. Then, in the middle of the movie, I found out that we have done this backwards, because he was like, I haven't ever seen any... High school comedy movie. No, I haven't. 
And I was like, well, this is not the one to start See, with. Now, now, the period of time when these things were coming out was a period Typically of time... Typically, was the 80s. It when, started in the 80s. Right, but this is the period of time when I was discovering Kurosawa, and I was discovering... Oh! Uh. So, and then, of course, when I started taking the, the, the film classes, it really became, oh, now we're going to look at French directors, and some of them I didn't like the French New Wave at all, but... But there was a lot of the stuff that I was learning about at the same time you guys were going forward, I was going backwards. So. Okay, first of all, mm. in the 80s, when the John Hughes films were coming out, I was between the ages of four and seven. And so don't you guys me. Well, I think you should have just tried harder, I think. <laughs> we should have a brief discussion here at the beginning uh-huh. to talk about what, what, which one of these movies you're going to have to watch. But you have not seen Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, no. Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. the Molly Ringwald trifecta. What my druthers would be would be either Pretty in Pink, which I cannot remember for the life of me, or mm-hmm. The Breakfast Club. The blatant Asian racism inherent in Sixteen Candles is, makes it a movie I don't really feel like. Um, no, we heard recently from who was the uh, the. Pundit who was talking about... Oh, fuck Bill Maher. Well... Bill Maher was throwing shade at one of my favorite podcasts currently, which is your favorite problematic. Now, of course, he wasn't throwing shade specifically at their podcast, because that would be some... It'd be some attention, media attention at least. But it's to the idea that if you're critiquing a thing to say how not woke it is, you're not woke, you're a douchebag. You can critique a thing, and we're doing it, y'all. You can critique a thing and also see that it has merits as well as being somewhat problematic, so you need to be aware. So you can know know better and be better. Know better and do better. That's right. Oh, I like that. When you know better, you do better. Also credited to your favorite problematic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's watch Pretty in Pink for next week. Right. So that's, that's your assignment, y'all. Um, I don't have a recollection of this movie, so I don't actually think that I've seen it. So that is good. Mm-hmm. We're going back to the roots, but let's take this week where I had seen it so many times. It's kind it of ridiculous. Of it's entirely possible I own this movie on VHS. Yep, I'm pretty sure I had the D- the, the VHS. I don't think it was a weird color. Everything in this film was a weird color. Every, this it was film really is really hard for me to see at times. Extraordinarily saturated. So we dive in to the beats of the kids in America. Y'all, the soundtrack in this movie is doing some heavy lifting. There, it's like the FM radio on is on in the background when they're filming, and mm. they're just like, "Well, I guess we have to use all of this music because it." There's a song in every scene, right? With Full-on lyrics. Like, you can hear, like, like it's not just the musical cues, it's soundtrack. And this was something that was happening at the time, right? This I is think the beginning so. of this. Nowadays, it's everywhere, but... Yeah, I mean... So yeah, so it starts with Kids in America, mm-hmm. the Muffs cover of Kids in America. There's a lot of covers. Yeah, I'm looking at the soundtrack, and it's bonkers. Some Count and Grows, some Luscious Jackson... Radiohead, the Smoking Popes, the Beastie Boys, the Mighty Mighty Bostones, who make a full-on cameo, right. Boston and all, uh, rolling with the homies. A Coolio song is up in here. <laughs> yeah, it's 
all of the music. All right, so tell me, okay, so some history real okay, quick. All right. It is a modern day retelling of Emma, right? That's By a Jane, Jane, Austen. Jane Austen novel. So, like the film that came out, I'm going to say between three and five years later, O, which was a modern retelling of Shakespeare's Othello. Like, uh, oh, the Heath Ledger, uh, early Heath Ledger role, um, Ten Things I Hate About You, which was a modern retelling of The Taming of the Shrew. Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is a similar situation. Uh, it's not, obviously, not a Shakespeare play, but based on the story of Emma by Jane Austen. Um, which I've never read. I've, I've, have I read any Jane Austen? You, I, I would not, I mean, I'd be slightly amazed if you got all the way through high school without having to read Pride and Prejudice. I've never read Pride and Prejudice, and I think the only, I, it's a pity I'm not as familiar with women in uh, literature as I could be. Hey, Smokey, I've, only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> but the... We've got tons of women literature, we've got books at 360 degrees around me. I think the only real... Have I read anything from that period? No, I don't think so. No, oh, it's not your jam. Well, it's not. It's, it, it's not horses and well, it's not. You um, should read the yellow wallpaper. Oh, I read the yellow wallpaper. Well, there you go. But um, also the haunting of Hill House. Yes. Uh, and sh- other Shirley Jackson. And if I'm if you're saying ghost stories, um, women are really well represented there. Well, I'm just saying women With, in um, literature generally and all. No, no, but I mean in that genre, genre, genre. No, don't do that. <laughs> I did, it's too late. Um, <laughs> they're actually really well represented. Mrs. Oliphant, who was a Victorian writer, did a wonderful, some wonderful ghost stories there. But, I mean, in general literature, I, I've never caught up with a lot of it. I think the closest I did was reading Jane Eyre, which was just spooky enough and creepy Jane Eyre is enough. wonderful. Right. And there's some very good movie versions of it. Yeah. Um, I also recommend The White Sargasso Sea if you want women. It's a I've, woman wrote right. a... Prequel. Kind of. <laughs> well, it's like a spinoff. <laughs> the film starts with Cher Horowitz. Her real name is Cheryl, and she's just a kind of. She's not. She's an interesting character. She's not stupid. No. She's shallow. Yes. And lovely. And ignorant. And very wealthy. And her father is a is a ferocious lawyer. He's a litigator. Right. They're the scariest kinds of lawyers. <laughs> Is it going to be me just doing lines from the movie? Yes. Maybe. Yes, it is. <laughs> and her mother is gone. She died during a, a liposuction accident. Yes. And so now she is uh, sort of the queen bee at her school. She is the queen bee at her school. And those opening scenes I wasn't quite so fond of because I felt like I was being set up for a, um, a sitcom. It does feel very much like the opening of a sitcom. Right. Here's me. Here are my pretty friends. It's and here's all like the, the beginning of yeah. Fresh Prince or something like that. And she opens that way with, you know, she says, you must be, think that you're watching a double mint. It's a gum commercial of some sort. Right. And she has a best friend who's Dion Davenport, who's Stacey Dash. Stacey yeah. Dash. She's a remarkably beautiful woman. Yes, yes. she's beautiful. She's um, also... Uh, a horrendous human being. Well, I can't Ding. judge that. 
but she's, um, they're friends because they both know what it's like for people to look up to them. And right. also, they're named after famous singers from the past who now star in infomercials. Dion is has a boyfriend who's a high schooler, but Cher refuses to have a boyfriend who's in high school because she believes it's a waste of time. or it's Because they're gross and um, dumb and... They're not going to get you anywhere, and so why would you bother? Right, exactly. So this is very much from the spirit of Jane Austen. Yes, exactly. Um, Although it wasn't high schoolers and college guys. It was just... Social climbers. My peers, or the yeah, the people around me. And even the rich ones. I mean, even the well-dressed rich ones. The crew. Mm -hmm. Even they're not acceptable. But if you do date a high school boy... The now, there's one of the problematic parts of this film for me, was Jeremy Sisto, <sighs> who's playing one of her friends, who... And put it, that in quotes. <laughs> it's not that the film itself is problematic, but his character is. His character is. His, well, his character and it, But it's, is, there's no attempt at making him likable. He's just... That's right. That's right. The, he's the a dick. Right, <laughs> pointing out, here's a man who's entitled enough to believe... That on some level, he just deserves to have this girl and that she doesn't really have a say in it. Yes. So, But he doesn't really come into the picture until a little bit later, although he's just That's always Alton. around. His foot hurts and he's constantly trying to get out of class. Right. <laughs> One of the people that gets introduced is her, well, that we hear about early on and later on becomes a major character is her stepbrother. Yes, Josh. Who's um, played by Paul Rudd. So this is... Um, very early Paul Rudd. Very early Paul he's Rudd. He's so adorable. <laughs> he's still adorable. At 40, it's upsetting, because adorable is the correct word. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, he's an idealist. He works with his dad, yes. is what I'm guessing. Um, yeah, he wants to go into environmental law. As a stepbrother, this is from another marriage. Yes. So as you inform me, they are not dozen related. times during the course of the film, this is not a grave and horrible tale of incest. It's important at the end of the movie to know that they are not related. Not and they say they're not related a whole bunch of times. <laughs> like, they make it very clear. And, you know, her dad said, because she says, you know, you divorced his mom five years ago. Why is he coming here? Mm-hmm. And her dad, who's in a fit of being a good man says you divorce wives, you don't divorce children. I don't believe the dad is necessarily a bad man. He's I not think. a bad man. He's a very he's, busy man. He's a very pushy guy. Though. He is. Very well, he's, he's got to be. Litigator. Right. Lawyers. Anyhow, so, um, Josh and Cher get along and don't get along. They seem to like each other, but not quite like each other. Like siblings. Um, Cher gets a bad report card. Yep. And she decides that her way of negotiating, or she's going to negotiate this by trying to improve the moods of two of her teachers by organizing a relationship between the two of them. Yes. Um, It wasn't really clear to me watching this film that those two teachers liked each other, but... I think they did. I mean, no, no. I mean, before she... Oh, before the... Yes, no, I don't think so. I think it legitimately was... She goes through a rundown. She's like, okay, Wallace Shawn, her her debate teacher... Mm -hmm. Is a straight man, and so right. she's like, I need to find him a woman. But they're married. She's a lesbian. Oh, and there's Miss Geist, the uh, the uh, coach, the PE teacher. Was this the beginning of that stereotype, or was that the? Oh no, because she says in in the grand tradition of PE teachers everywhere, right. okay, so <laughs> she then. appears to be same sex focused. 
And she, she does other things than set up these people for instance, she gets her PE grade raised mm-hmm. by going to the coach and telling her that she got dumped by a dumb man. And then she gets, she raises that up. But she thinks that hooking up these two teachers is the only way that Wallace Shawn specifically is going to raise their grade. Right. Because Ms. Geist says we'll do it based on volunteering for something. And it improves uh, not only her grades, it seems to improve the disposition of people at the school. And she's getting cheered because, again, she's negotiated one of these difficult things that, that make life better for everyone else. Yes. But as her brother lines up telling her later on, her inflated new sense of self-esteem, maybe, is based on the fact that she manipulated people to do what she wants. Cher is not evil in any way, no. but she is very manipulative in that she And gets you do end to... up going on to see that these two adults end up getting married. Right. Which they're, I mean, she's clearly not meddling anymore in their relationship, so they've made an adult decision to stay together. It's not because of her. Well, she um, also believes that um, now that she has the ability to do good by, you know, waving a magic wand, so to speak, she is now going to take under her wing a lonely, nerdy girl. Um, she's who, not nerdy. She's a stoner. Bertie Murphy. Well, we love her. I, I do. And this is really strange because this is uh, at the risk of sounding really kind of, I'm not sure there's a term for this, lookist, I guess. This is the most... Mm, it's every high school movie. Watered-down version of Britney Murphy. Get, of do her eyebrows and take her glasses off, and she's beautiful. Right. I mean, that's really... It's, but I think even the do-over version of her is not nearly as striking as Britney Murphy actually was. Well, was, she's also very young in this. Right. So she hadn't grown into her beauty yet, I don't she think. is a, a, just one of the tragic Hollywood stories, yes. too. But also one of the most talented and striking actresses. Yeah, it was around for a long time because she had everything. You know, she was. She yes, sing. she was a she triple could, threat. She was an amazing performer. So here she's just sort of like. Um, they put her in overalls. If you put a woman in overalls, you are telling us that she is ugly. That is what that is. It's also saying. telling you that it's during the depression, which this movie is not set for. Well, that's the thing. Right. She comes in during PE class and after a very sick burn by uh, Dion, where. One of their friends. It's hard to tell what Amber is. Amber is one of the other girls in their group. And sometimes they seem to be very close. And like all in the beginning montage, she's there. And they all look very close. And Mm -hmm. then in the actual film, not really. Um, But Amber, they're just hitting a tennis ball that's being shot out of them from an auto server. Amber says... My plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing anything, any activities where balls fly at my nose. <laughs> and then Dion says, well, there goes your social life. Because Dion is full of sick birds. Well, now, what, what, one of the running gags about this school that I like, because I felt in the beginning, the opening was sort of forced, but it was her running through the characters. This yes. is my friend here, here's my dad, here's... One of the running gags in this film that I really like is how often you see... Girls in the background with um, post op, yes, with the uh, the nose, the nose guards and the chin guards, yes. and the, 
because everyone being so superficial here is addicted to plastic surgery. So I thought that was one of the funnier bits that everyone at the school Well, yeah, especially after you hear her mom died during a freak accident during a routine liposuction. Right, it's very funny. First of all, the fact that you consider liposuction routine is problematic. But then, um, yeah, so Ty comes on during PE, and the the PE teacher says, you could hit a few balls in those clothes, and Amber retorts after being so brutally miffed by by Dion, she says, you could be a farmer in those clothes. <laughs> so now she's taking this new young woman under her wing. She makes her over by putting Kool-Aid in her hair. Right. She, is that what that was? I think so. I do think that they did the weird Kool-Aid rinse to give it like a red tint. They give her a makeover, and they she... Um, tries to introduce her to, and despite the fact that the girl, Ty, yeah, Ty. is uh, has her own interests and her own, you know, the young man, the skater kid. Breckenmeyer. I love me some Breckenmeyer. Interested in, they keep steering her towards a better choice. Yeah. Um, because right. she has said at the beginning, the crew is the only acceptable high school boys to date, and that the stoners are on the grassy knoll over there. Sometimes mm-hmm. they show up and we laugh at their boneheaded things, but we, uh, or the things, boneheaded things that they say, but no respectable girl would date one. Now, there's a very little interesting sort of showing where drug culture was going. Because mm-hmm. when Ty comes back from meeting, um, I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. Travis Birkenstock, of course it is. <laughs> so tra- Ty meets Travis. And they bond over Marvin the Martian. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and also the fact that she's an artist. Yes, she draws. Yeah, interesting she, that Cher never considers this to be a quality. I don't know that Cher even knows. I don't think she does. I really, I think that she's... But I don't, that's the kind of... Um, in the values of the world that Cher has, mm-hmm. this is not a value, mm-hmm. being artistic in any way. No. And... Uh, so she comes or being back. Or athletic, and, for that matter, which is I. Yeah, no athletic either. Mm-hmm. Ty has met Travis and come back over, and mm-hmm. they they have a little drug talk. She's like, "Are you talking about drugs? How old are you?" And Ty says, "I'll be sixteen in May." Mm-hmm. And Cher says, "Well, my birthday's in April, so as an older woman." And I'm just like, "Okay, so we're both still fifteen. Right. We're very young children. Sparking up a doobie and getting laced at parties is one thing, but being stoned all day is quite another. Like, they have already, at the age of 15, in uh, California, understood the difference between being a no, stoner and doing year? a little bit of drugs. 1995. No, 1995, and it's a jump away from me growing up in high school, because I graduated in 1987. And we were in the midst of the Just Say No campaign. That would have never flown back right. then. So there was a complete change in attitude mm-hmm. just in a and very short sh- period of time. This came out in 95 when I was a freshman, sophomore. Would have been 1995. So mm-hmm. I was right about her age. I also turned 16 in April. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it was very, it was interesting. And then later at the party scene, you they both smoke a joint. And it's like, not a big thing. 
at all. And it would have been, a, a, you know, just yeah. earlier, it would have been, you know, somebody would have come up and shaken their finger. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not made a big thing. Like, um, Travis ends up <laughs> going through 12, 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined this club. It has these steps. And then Cher helps him, like, right. 12 of them? How did you know? And so he realizes, of course, he has a problem and they tone back on it. But right. they never really do a lot of judging. There's she not, says that right. one thing about how they don't show up and, you know, they laugh at her and they're not very respectable. But it's the way that they're acting, not necessarily the drug they're that doing, they're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a remarkably uh, kind of tolerant feel to the movie as a whole, as we later learn about one of the other characters and their lifestyle, that she just accepts it. Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, that's the, the story. But anyhow, I don't want to get yeah, it. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, and Dion's black and Cher is white. Mm-hmm. Murray, uh, Dion's boyfriend, is black. It's but I love the it. dude from Scrubs whose name I can't Faison. remember. Faison, that's Faison. right. Donald Faison. But there's a great, uh, there's a lot of interesting bits where he is doing, um, he's adopting different personalities uh, a lot of times <laughs> over the course oh, of the Oh, Christian? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when he does it, it's just at the same time, He's, I don't know, there's this weird postmodern take on it where he is aware that he's adopting personalities and occasionally slips into more intellectual persona to explain, yeah. you know, hip hop. Yes, culture, yes. Which is really, that part made me laugh. Like, you, no, I know that I'm putting You're specifically act. talking about, I'm sorry, you're, you were talking about Murray. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, like, because he keeps calling Dion woman and she's like, I have told you that I hate you when you call right. me that. And he, like, breaks into, like, almost like a David Attenberg bro. Right. Like, documentary, you know, well, slang does have some misogynistic undertones. Right. It's not necessarily with mocking. And, yeah, exactly. You know, like. It <laughs> makes you think that all these kids are a lot smarter than they're putting on mm-hmm. because they're trying to put, a, you know, fit into a culture or be a part of something. Yeah. And so that part made me laugh, too, because I'm like, oh, okay, so they're aware of how dumb they mm-hmm. are. But this is what we have to do to get by. So Cher is trying to set Ty up with Elton, because mm-hmm. Elton just broke up with his girlfriend, Valette. Her Valette. Which I'm pretty sure is valet, but pronounced with the T at the end. That's not a name. Um, well, for that matter, neither is Cher, really. But <laughs> You know. So they, she tries to take pictures of them together and get them to, like, be in contact with each mm-hmm. other. They go out to a club in the valley, or not a club, a, a house party in the valley, because they know Elton's going to be there, and she's just trying to mush tie right. towards him. They and end she up dancing seem to have any together. Consideration that uh, that Ty is not into this at all. Ty's into it's it. Not Ty's not into it. Elton Elton's is not into it, right? not into it. Elton's not into anything. His cranberry CD. But other than that, he's not really into anything. And um, so at the part, they go to the party. Mm-hmm. They smoke that joint. So they're altered. Uh, Murray decides to shave his head. And then Dion freaks out. And then they all have to leave because Cher gets a call from her dad. Mm-hmm. He's like, where are you? Everywhere in the city takes 20 minutes. Get home in 20 minutes. And she's an hour out because mm-hmm. not in the city. So after a a weird, just a scene that goes on a little too long, well, you take Ty, Elton, you take Ty home, and I'm going to go with her. And then Elton's like, "Uh, no, I don't want to do that. And they switch it back and forth like four times. It goes on too long. I think it's a joke that 
everyone there found terribly funny that because it happens more than once in the film. That's the running joke about trying to find out who takes who home and who goes. Yes, home. and this is because they're just spitting uh, out names of streets in L.A. that I, mean nothing to me. One of the the uh, things I mentioned to you at the time is that oh, this is a French film. Oh, okay. Because there was a period of time like. In, you'll see in 60, late 60s, early 70s French cinema, for some reason there were so many scenes in French movies about arguing about a woman wanting to walk home and a man needing to take her home to make her safe. I don't know what that was about, what that was in French culture, but I was, you know, I, there was a friend of mine, Ron, uh, we used to talk about it. I was like, how often do you see that scene every time you see a French film? There's that argument. So I don't know if it was an homage to that or if it's kind of a private joke between the cast and crew about... Just <laughs> let's put as many... Local references in here well, as possible. Not just that, but also sort of like the joke being, well, who's the closest to get, navigating this ridiculous system of freeways yeah. and highways? At one point, Dion pulls out a Thomas guide. Oh my God, that was lovely. I really. <laughs> oh yes, that brought back fond memories. Um, yeah, so uh, Ty ends up going with the other girl, and um, Cher goes with Felton. And she's trying to talk up, trying to talk up Ty, trying to talk up Ty. And Elton's like, why are you talking about her? You're into me. I'm into you. And then he tries to kiss her. And it's very uncomfortable because the whole time she's like, ew, stop, don't, gross, no. And he's like. That was the scene that was difficult to watch. And He's like an octopus. He's very tall compared to her, too. There's just a lot of him. Everyone's very tall compared to her. Well, that's fair. There's a lot of him and not a lot of her. And I'm just like, you get off of her. Right. She um, gets out of the car to like prove her point or whatever. Okay, something I need to point out though yeah. is the Wikipedia entry for describing this scene says he tries to seduce her. That's not what happens. This is not a seduction. This is halfway towards. Uh, this is not even halfway towards. This is sexual assault. Yeah. At this point, it starts with him just being a dick. Like, why would I date her? Do you even know who my father is? Right. That's literally what he says. And she calls him a snob. Well done, Cher. Way to say it. And then he's like, come on, you, you've been into me this whole time or whatever. And then, yeah, he's like suction cupping mm. her. And she's, just, and she's like, she's very vocal about that. Right. She is not down with this in any way. Um, and then she gets out of the car and he's like, you're only hurting yourself here, baby. Get in the car. And she's like, no. Right. And then he drives away and leaves her there because he's the biggest. Of dicks. Well, and that was that scene has a it leaves a taste in your mouth. You know, mm-hmm. she he is a jerk, and so there's nothing kind of um, there's nothing amusing about that scene. It really no. does feel more real than the rest of the film because she subsequently gets robbed. Yes, as she's standing in this uh, parking lot in the middle of nowhere, she tries to call a cab company, uh, and a guy comes up to her and with a gun mm-hmm. says, "Give me your wallet or give me your watch." Give me your um, bag and your phone and lay down on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so she gets robbed and then she has to call her brother. S- her stepbrother, Josh. Her, her brother. Come save her. Who's, so, ha- who's on a date. Who's on a date and, and doing a lot better than she was. Yes. You know, trying to get people. It seemed like both people were enjoying right. the festivities instead of just one person. And so she winds up um, getting picked up by him and his date. Mm-hmm. And... I forget, you will absolutely remember what was the misquote or the the misquote was um, as Hamlet says the 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 girl right. is is uh, she's so she really sounds like a college student she's talking about 
how, as Hamlet says, to thine own self be true. And she just pipes up from the back. Um, Hamlet didn't say that. <laughs> right, which is the first thing that I said. It's like, no, that's Polonius. And, um, yeah, and I was like, oh, wait for it. <laughs> yeah, and she catches, you know, because uh, her rationale is she's... Well, he, no. she says, the, the college student says, I think I remember my Hamlet. Right. And she's like, or my Shakespeare. Right. And she says, well, I remember Mel Gibson, and he didn't say that. That Polonius guy did. Which is really very funny. <laughs> and it makes Josh laugh, because that shit is funny. I would have laughed, too. And now, I have to say this so I don't come across. Um, it's too late to not come across as arrogant. The reason why duh, duh, duh. I have such an intimate relationship with Hamlet is that we did like a dramatic reading of parts of it when I was a student at Shiloh Christian Academy. That seems an odd pick, but okay. Yeah, it was. But <laughs> everyone there was just cheerful and happy and blessed. And our teacher had the hardest time trying to get the students' heads around what a melancholy was. She kept uh, what she a melancholy right. or what melancholy? It, it, it's either not one. A thing. It's not and a noun. A melancholy in, in a person who was melancholy. Okay. And so she would actually point at me in the classroom and said, "Someone like Lemuel," and Oof, they would all turn off. So <laughs> every time we were doing this dramatic reading, I would wind up reading Hamlet's parts, and then she would go on to say. You see there how Lemuel has expressed his bitterness and discontentment with life. Here, for instance, is similar to Hamlet's feeling. And it just went on that way the entire She time. doesn't go to like a popular childhood character like an Eeyore. No. Because that's the go-to. Hey, teachers out there, go to Eeyore. Don't go to a student in your yeah, actual she, she class. That's me out and just like outed me and said, there, there's, that's what a melancholy is like. Look at him. And everyone was just sort of nodding their head going, oh, that's oh, before really? you were all black. Right, it's like it has not gotten better. Oh, you know? That's anyhow, hilarious. So that's that's why I have a real relationship with Hamlet as a play. And then uh, they end up dropping off uh, Josh's girlfriend, and then Josh and Cher go back to the house and watch him run and Stimpy or something like that. Yeah, and the obviously this. She's in her pajamas. Right. She says she she feels so much better in her like in her relaxing clothes, maybe mm-hmm. because her part then in her party clothes. And then she says maybe it's because her party clothes are so binding. I'm like, Yeah, that's that's exactly why. <laughs> like you've solved the mysteries of the universe. She's not dumb. There's gotta be a word for it. It's just She's just she's ignorant. She has she has not mm-hmm. learned the things yet. But I mean, even, you know, Alicia Silverstone Right at the very beginning, the the opening uh, in class, there's a part where she has to do her little oral part of the debate. Right. And she is talking about allowing immigration from Haiti. Mm-hmm. And she says the line, we could certainly party with the Haitians. Uh. Now, I don't know if you all know, <laughs> listeners, that word is pronounced Haitian. Mm-hmm. That's not written into the script. That was Alicia Silverstone did not know how to say that word. And it's that kind of sort of, you just don't know. You've never heard it said out loud or you've only read it. And so you're just doing your best. (laughs) I think Cher's just doing her Um, best. Oh, I was um, listening to two weeks ago's episode of Wonderful, the uh, Rachel and Griffin McElroy show. And Rachel was describing somebody as a Tito Taylor, and Griffin just stopped her in the most loving way that I've ever heard and said, I'm sorry, what? 
<laughs> and she said, you know, someone who doesn't drink, which is pronounced for those who may not know, teetotaler. And so then she's like, I never heard it said out loud. I'd only ever read it. And he is laughing so hard, but in such a loving way. They high five. He wants to remarry her right there on the spot for her adorableness. But yeah, there are words that you just, you don't, you have pronounced them in your head, and that is what they are. And you um, don't know until you say it out loud in front of somebody who does know, and then embarrassment. Yeah, I, Goethe. That was mine. Goethe. What did you pronounce it as? I pronounced it as it was said. Gothi or whatever? Yes. <laughs> but, but I have trouble with Penelope still. I see Penelope. Um, and I think I thought I was being smart by c- pronouncing aspartame as a Spartame, but now I can't stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that one backfired on you. It's just... And so now people think I'm being funny or like fancy, like spelling theater with an R-E, mm. but I, uh, like, that's legitimately how I think it's pronounced now, I think. Aspartame. Uh, Aluminium. So, all right, so Cher has, you know, she's rejected one suitor and she's beginning to, well, she gets infatuated with a new student. Yes, Christian. Christian, all right, who... The, he has a very kind of retro feel and look to he, me. Yes, just because Sammy Davis Jr. died doesn't mean there's some space in the rat pack. Right, exactly, which is a very funny line. <laughs> he's a, But he's a boy who is her age, who mm-hmm. wears his pants at his waist. Yes, sagging was a thing at this point, and she calls it out. She doesn't like ball caps, and he doesn't... If he wears a hat, it's a fedora. Right. Um, he He's a belt wearer. He tucks his shirts in. I bet he smells real good. Like he's he presents himself in a way that is not slovenly That's or teenaged, <laughs> which are the two problems that Cher has with, or two of the problems Cher has right, with exactly. high school boys. Um, so she's like, well, I know I'm supposed to be finding Ty a boyfriend, but no harm in looking for me. Right. So she <laughs> begins this relationship, or relationship. Well, yes, a relationship with him. Yes. Um, she starts by sending herself stuff, flowers and candy. To and show how desirable she is. <laughs> Which... I, I, is that I, a thing? I don't know. I've been so far out of this world. What I, did she say? And you should uh-huh. show as much skin as possible because then boys will think about being naked and then they'll think of sex. <laughs> so well, that, she's there's no arguing with that one. She solved the male mind. Yeah. <laughs> but I just... I'm so... This is a tactic I've never seen in in the wild, but I don't know for sure that it's... I don't... I never had a lot of girlfriends, and I've been a pretty sort of tomboy-y girl my whole life, so the the ways of the female... Sometimes I'm like, no, that's straight-up bullshit, and sometimes I'm legitimately like, well, I don't know. Maybe girls do do these things. I don't, but that doesn't mean nobody does. She's... Attempts several times to, because again, she, as we learn later in the film, both she and her friend, uh, Dion, are both virgins. Yes. And Ty is not. And that Ty becomes an important, important part later in the film. Yeah. Her attempt to seduce uh, Christian. Christian goes completely wrong because yeah. Christian is is not inclined. He's not interested in the ladies. Yes, he is. So uh, they they end up going out to a party at uh, Josh's fraternity, mm-hmm. I guess. That's 
with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones cameo. Um, and it seems to go pretty well. You know, he's not looking at any of the other girls. And he only has eyes for her. And also the hot bartender. But, you know, that's fine. And then um, she invites him over to the house. And she's like, I guess this is where we're gonna, we're gonna have sex. Or kiss, at least. Because <laughs> they didn't do that the first um, party. And, oh, we should say at the party... Ty goes to the party as well, mm-hmm. wearing overalls again, shorts overalls. And she's ignored. Uh, she's pretty ignored until Josh shows up because uh. Josh is like, are you going to let her go out looking like that with this dude? I maybe should go and take an eye, keep an eye on her. Okay, Josh, you have nothing but your sister's welfare at heart. So he goes and then ends up dancing with Ty. Which is really, really sweet. Because Josh is like a legitimately good dude. But this is the moment also where Cher begins to develop some sort of a little awareness bit, yeah. that she might feel something for him. The party goes well. She goes home. He calls mm-hmm. her the next day. She wasn't expecting him to call the next day. That's the other thing. He says he'll call her tomorrow. So she expects it's going to be like five days. But she calls him Sunday. She, he calls Sunday. He's going to bring over some movies. Mm-hmm. And they're going to watch some movies. And So she's getting the house ready. Whenever a boy comes over, you should have something baking. And she drops an entire roll of cookies onto a tray. That's not going to turn out well. That's just going to be a delicious, not not delicious log of burnt. He brings over three Tony Curtis movies. It's Spartacus, Some Like It Hot, and I don't remember what the other one is. And so they're watching movies, and she's trying to, like, play footsie with him. And then he looks at her, she's like, my feet are cold. And he, like, puts a pillow on them. <laughs> and then she's trying to, like, flip her hair or whatever and falls off the bed. And he looks around and he's like, no, I'm getting tired. I'm going to go. And then he's like, we're friends, right? And then kisses her on the cheek. Or makes her kiss him on the I cheek. I think he realizes what she's up to. Yes. And that's something that is a maybe, I don't know how familiar you are with it. Mm. One of the funny bits about choosing Spartacus as a movie is that Tony well, Curtis mm-hmm. plays a slave that's acquired by Lawrence Olivier in the film. Uh-huh. And there's a, a scene that was actually cut out of the original release to the film where he's giving Lawrence Olivier a bath and Olivier's character starts going into this sort of rambling speech about oysters. Do you eat oysters? Oh, well, no, do you that's... Eat snails? Well, do you consider a man who eats snails immoral and a person who eats oysters moral? And then ends the speech by saying, I eat both oysters and snails. <laughs> and a very fun fact about Oysters are vaginas <laughs> and snails are peni. So a very funny part about that scene is that Stanley Kubrick shot the scene knowing full well that they were Stanley not Stanley Kubrick directed Spartacus? Spartacus, yes. This was one of his early mainstream films. and uh, it's a, I had... You've yeah. blown my mind. I'm gonna need a minute. Keep talking. No, it's a credit. I'm just to, gonna sit over here. With my it's blood. a credit to Kirk Douglas that instead of just having one of the directors who'd handle any number of big epic pictures to pull in Stanley Kubrick, the young genius, to work on this film. That's an um, that's crazy. Yeah, as you wanted to work with Kubrick, and so and this was very early Kubrick. So Kubrick knew that that scene was not going to make it into the film, but he shot it anyhow, just in case. Yeah. When the film was restored, many many years later. Uh, Lawrence Olivier had passed on. Yeah. And so someone recommended Anthony Hopkins to come in and dub in the dialogue or ADR 
Lawrence Levy's voice because he used to do because Anthony Hopkins oh, he did that. is a very gifted mimic, and he used to do imitations of Lawrence Olivier and um, Rod Steiger and all these theater friends you know that he had. Uh, so he did a really good Lawrence Olivier. So if you see the restored version of Spartacus and that scene's present, it's actually Anthony Hopkins doing Lawrence Olivier. Olivier talking to okay. And Tony Curtis trying to AD on his dialogue, even though his very heavy Brooklyn accent has gotten much heavier. That's weird. Since he shot the film many, many years ago. That's but yeah, it's, it's very funny. But and I thought that was a really interesting point to use that yeah. scene. Yeah. Or one of well, those and Sun Like a Hot, isn't that the one where he dresses well, like a woman? Right. Yeah. And it's a great film, by the way. It's one of the great comedies. Yeah, no, it's time. fun. But yeah, so he's 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 bringing We're signs. getting clues, right? And she should have picked up. However, as the film implies the title, she's completely like clueless. clueless yeah. So she doesn't get it. So the next day they're driving, she's in the car with Murray and Dion. Oh, yeah, okay. Driving, mm-hmm. and he's, she's like, I can't believe I was going to have sex with him. And Murray says, sex with who? And they're like, Christian. And he falls out laughing. Right. And then I pulled up the quote because it's, a very, it's very specific what uh-huh. he says. And she's like, what? And he says, your friend Christian is a cake boy. A what? He's a disco dancing, Oscar Wilde reading, Streisand ticket holding friend of Dorothy. You know what I'm saying. Nuh-uh, no way. He's gay. He does like to shop, share, and the boy can dress. That's what Dion says. So I looked up cake boy because yeah, this is I, I the only phrase that I not recognize. And Urban Dictionary just defines it as a metrosexual, so someone who dresses nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also... Apparently, at one point, at least, at was. one point was. You mentioned that some of the slang in the film is entirely made up, right? Yeah, I it, believe so. I think that Barney's and Baldwin's and all that right. good stuff is made up. Betty's, um, which but it came became a thing afterwards. Yes, which is I, I think very similar to Diablo Cody's right. writing. Well, as I mentioned to you, a lot of Raymond Chandler when he's writing his detective novels in the fifties. He made up his own slang because mm-hmm. he felt that whatever you wrote down on paper was not going to be current by the time that somebody read it. Right. So instead, he would do these sort this of weird just, turns This is just this is slang. Right? Y'all can figure out what it means. Uh, Dashiell Hammett did the same thing. He, he was very clever. You know, the word gunsel was something that Dashiell Hammett invented, and now the term gunsel is used a lot in describing a person carrying a gun, even though it's actually a reference to a young gay man. Oh, interesting. And that was how he got it passed. Yeah, uh, censors at the time when he was writing. But anyhow, going back yeah. to so it, it like sort of dawn breaks on Marblehead. Sheriff's like, oh, <laughs> that he was a is reference. gay, and then they're just friends. They want to they hang out shopping, and meanwhile they're at the mall mm-hmm. shopping for gifts. And Ty meets up with a bunch of dudes who like dangle her over the railing on the second floor, and Christian breaks it up. And then, of course, everybody's like, did you hear the tire almost died at the mall? And she was like, she didn't almost. Did you hear a bunch of gangbangers almost shot tie at the mall? Yeah. Like, it became this whole thing. And she was getting overly popular. So Cher's sort of son is fading a little bit as Ty is becoming popular for things that she can't help. Right. Like, she didn't do anything. And then... Uh, Cher has to take her driving test. Now we've seen her drive at various points of the and movie. And that is one of the funnier scenes of the film, which we didn't cover, which is driving onto the freeway. 
Oh yeah. It's, yeah, it's a freeway in LA. in L.A. They travel for the distance of one exit. Yeah, they only are screaming in terror the entire time. Because I think she doesn't go above thirty. Right. Which but, is why the trucks are barreling down. But that scene is actually really funny for anybody who's been stuck on a freeway mm-hmm. in L.A. or on a freeway, a busy freeway in general. The idea. I, of it. Or who's gotten on the freeway when they didn't fucking intend right. to. But <laughs> what makes that scene funny for me is. It really gets into the character where she's in control of a world. Mm-hmm. She's not in control of the world, and so something as small as her driving onto the freeway, they suddenly are terrible. They're like these three kids. It's Dion that's driving, or taken completely out of their element. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they're screaming it, and like it becomes. But then Murray is like, "Breathe, baby, breathe. It's fine. Just keep going. Just get off the next exit. You're doing great. Just breathe. Just breathe." <laughs> like she's having a baby. Like she's a neighbor. <laughs> And she gets off the freeway, and it's, but but for those few minutes, it's like you're in a horror film because yeah. they're screaming they're and they look out. really terrified. So, and that's what makes it funny. Sadly, you know, I thought that was one of the funnier bits in the film. But anyhow, yeah, you're mentioning her driving test. Which so is, she's going to take her driving test, uh, and she has been an abysmal driver this whole movie. Right. Um, we know she's gotten tickets because she her dad calls her into the study, and she's like, shows him. Who shows her these second notices of ticket, and she's like, I don't remember getting the first notice. The ticket is the first notice. So then she can only drive with a chaperone, and then she gets Josh to drive with her, of course. Mm. And then she, on the day of the test, she's very nervous. She can't find her the shirt that makes her look the most responsible. That's what she's looking for. The the Fred Siegel shirt that makes her look the most responsible. And so she doesn't, she's not wearing what she wants to wear and she doesn't feel good about it. And she goes and she's taking the test and you can clearly tell when we come in on the scene that she's already not doing great. And then she almost kills a bicyclist. She sideswipes a car, and she like stops in the basically the middle of the street when he says to pull over. Yeah, he has. She has command of the vehicle taken away from her. Yeah, and there's no negotiating. No, nope. there's no. You she's know. like, who? Who can I talk to? Like, I, all she's trying to like make all these dumb excuses, mm. and the guy's like, as far as I'm concerned, as I'm the DMV god. Like, right. there's no one above me. You're not gonna get out of this. You're not getting a thing. You're not. And she goes home, and she's miserable. And Ty is there playing hacky sack with Josh. And she's brought a bunch of mementos from her non-relationship. I don't know how she got a whole box of stuff uh, that she wants to burn in the fire. The song that they danced to and the... What was the, the most romantic song ever yes the towel vice that he got to cure her when she got hit in the head with a clog and then she's once and uh, i have to admit at this point this was a much funnier movie than i expected it to be i i was kind of surprised by how much i was enjoying no way i watch a movie this many times if it's yeah. not fun at least i've only seen this well that's not true because i've seen Shawshank this many times and i wouldn't find that movie as fun right there's those films that you see because they're like i see which fighter general this that and grueling, speed but, yeah. i mean they're fun movies right and ty's like um i have feelings for josh and i want to call her alicia but Cher is like i just don't see you guys together and then ty is super mean and she says oh what am i even listening to you for you're just a virgin who can't drive oh way harsh ty and uh, then they 
sort of break up. Their friendship sort of breaks up for a little bit. And then she's very confused. She's like, why do I care? She's my friend. He's nothing to me. What's my problem? And then... Thunderstruck, in front of realizes. a in front of a fountain that turns itself on while she's out <laughs> shopping. Um, I love Josh. She's butt crazy in love with Josh, but she can't do any of her regular tricks because she's not impressed by any not of them. Not be impressed by any of that. Her getting flowers is not going to be a thing. Um, this is also the moment when she realizes that she's again in the title, totally clueless. Totally clueless, and she's she, like, well. Maybe I need to be, like, a better person. Like, he's a good person. Maybe I need to be a better person. And she needs to be a better person on the inside as well as on the outside. Um, so then there's the Pismo Beach disaster relief effort. No, exactly. What was the disaster that happened at Pismo Beach? I am Beach? Googling it. No, I don't know. I used to live at Pismo Beach, sort of. It's right by San Luis Obispo. I go there on the regular. Uh, there's no disaster? That I'm aware of. You know, other than the fact that Bugs misses his left turn at Albuquerque and never makes it there. But no, oh no, it's it, it, on the Pismo Beach Wikipedia page, it just says in the movie Clueless, the fictitious Pismo Beach disaster is referred to. So she's giving away all of her, like a bunch of food. She's getting gathering a bunch of food. She's gathering a bunch of, like, her skis and stuff, sporting equipment. And they're like, do you think they will, do you really think they need your skis? And she's like, some people lost everything. Don't you think that includes sporting equipment? And I'm like, well, she's not wrong. No. And having been in Pismo Beach, those are people who may own skis before the disaster. Whatever that disaster was. I'm going to guess like, um, maybe some sort of flooding problem. I guess so. Or sand problem, like um, like a mudslide or something that takes out all of the nice homes on the <laughs> you, I think you're putting too much thought into this. I well, I'm trying to think of what it would what be I, there. Yeah, I don't know what it's like. I don't know if it's like the Palisades here where, you know, there's a rainstorm and someone's backyard disappears and their house is on the verge of the cliff. Yeah. So she's doing all of this stuff. She's also she's volunteering to help her dad, who's going through a bunch of discovery... Uh, for cases for work, where she's like highlighting certain phone calls and certain files and stuff. And it's in the errors that she makes there that she has her moment with her brother. <laughs> that brother? Are we best friends now? She's the head of the disaster relief. That's when we find out she that Travis right. has given up smoking weed right, because cause he donates a bong. And he invites her to a sporting event. And invites her to like a, yeah, like a. Like a teen straight edge mm-hmm. skating thing. Like no no drugs and alcohol. And this is where so. she reconciles with Ty. Yes. Ty discovers that she likes the athletic type. Well, if you, I mean, I guess. And it's and and you see sort of the... Because Ty's like Travis since the very first moment mm. that they met. Right. But and, she kept keeping him apart. You know, as he's doing these skate tricks at this skate event. She's like, I had no idea that Travis was so motivated. And Ty's like, oh, I did. Like, mm. they really saw each other for who they were. Right. And Cher has, you know, boxed people into these neat categories, categories yeah. and doesn't have to think about the person that's in there. And I think that that's sort of showing right. her blindness previously and... Her realizing growth. That yeah. yeah, and then yeah, there's a fight. Oh, this 
this associate that yells at them mm-hmm. would be super fired. So well, there's no saying that he isn't because we don't see what happens. No, I know, but I'm telling you, he got fired because yeah. he's in charge of watching over Josh, who is in college still, not an attorney, mm-hmm. helping, interning maybe, and his daughter, who's also not in college, not a lawyer, interning, okay? So this associate is getting paid money to do this work, and when he, like, something got mislabeled and miscategorized, and he's like, well, you all can deal with it, because, you know, if you weren't flirting with her the whole time, this wouldn't have happened. And I'm calling in sick tomorrow to not deal with it. And I'm like, then you're going to be fired. What? Calling unemployed. This is not how I've worked with attorneys. I was a paralegal for five years. That's not acceptable behavior. And not to mention, the problem seemed really easy to fix. Like, Mm -hmm. this dude was freaking for no reason. Like, if this is stressing you now, first year, you should probably think about a new uh, line of work. Because this ain't going to do it. Uh, you don't even get sick days for the first five days of being, or five years of being a lawyer. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's not how this works. And then Josh is like, can you believe that he said that we were, you know, um, such a boy? <laughs> and then they kiss. And then she says, you know what happens next. And you see two people in a wedding gown and uh, tux at the head of the thing. And she's like, as if. This is California, not Kentucky. We're only 16, and I'm only 16. <laughs> yeah. And so they're at Miss Geist's, and uh, what was Sean's character's name? Well, Sean, I think. Mr. Mr. Hall and Miss Geist. They're getting married. And all of them are at the wedding, because those are the saddest teachers that ever lived, and they don't have actual friends. <laughs> and then that's the end. More music. So much music all the time. So I take it you like the film. I love the movie. I love it so much. It's so fun. I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I think I read Emma. I'm sure I've seen a movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. It probably had Gwyneth Paltrow in it. That seems the most reasonable. And there wasn't an adaptation with Gwyneth Paltrow, so that might have been what you saw. It feels probable to me. But I like the, um, I like updated things. I mm-hmm. thought... You know, I like all the color and the brightness of it. I know that's difficult for your eyes to right. deal with. Yeah, I just thought it was fun and smart. You yeah, know, no, it was, I... And I thought everybody was eminently likable in it. It's really a bummer what's happened to some of them. How do you, One oh, of them. Stacey Dash. I'm talking to you. Mm. <laughs> Although, Alicia Silverstone and her veganism and her breastfeeding is a little... much. She's the opposite direction, I think. Yes. It's like, what it's is... It's like they just... Um, but I don't have a problem with Alicia. Alicia liberal, I guess. It's you know, you can breastfeed your kid until they're five. What? That's fine. That's none of my business. Um, well, being that I don't really know anything about these people other than... Oh, you know, was she the one that baby birded her kid, though? Baby what? She'd chew up food and then spit it into the baby's mouth. All right. Like so mouth. anyhow, assuming that I ever want to eat again, I'm returning to the subject of the film. I think she might have done that. Uh, Anyways. No, nobody ever does that. It's none of my business. I'm not a parent. <laughs> I have no well, children, I can't You're speak. not a parent either who would I also vomit into their child's mouth. But then, yeah, so Stacey Dash became um, a right-wing pundit who is running for office in a place that she's never going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brittany Murphy, sadly, tragically, died very young 
uh, followed immediately by her husband, I believe. Who that I don't know. I didn't even know yeah. she was married. She died of pneumonia. It was a just a ridiculous, sad, horrible waste because she really was. I remember there's a oh um, yes of pneumonia. Yeah. At the same time, Simon Monjack. The film that I really admired her in, and there was a couple of them. She was very good in Eight Mile. She um. She was really outstanding in a film called. Um, just escaped me just now. Um, I'm scrolling down to see her filmography. The film about the murder victim. Oh, do you mean I'll Never Tell? No, 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 no. Don't say a word. No, that's not what I mean. The film about the murder victim was the character. Oh, Dead Girl. Dead Girl. The Dead Girl? There's two I want to say it right. It's One, The Dead Girl. The Dead Girl, because there's a film called Dead Girl, which is... There's some necrophilia. Don't, do, don't watch that Misogynist movie. necrophilia film. <laughs> but Dead Girl, which is a story of uh, a murder victim, is taken from the people around the victim and features a lot of really strong women's performances. Have you seen Girl Interrupted? No, I haven't. She's very good in that as well. All right. Well, I'm, it's too close to... It's a, it is it is a little close. Um, but the thing is that... Uh, and she was just outstanding, and she really... I really wish she'd had a longer career. So she plays Luann in King of the Hill. Which she was very funny in, too. Which is very, very good, yes. Um, but her voice work, her singing was amazing. Yes. Um, she was on an episode of Kids Incorporated. K-I-D-S. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, it was a show that I would only was only able to watch sporadically mm-hmm. um, because the it was a Disney Channel show and we didn't get the Disney Channel except when we got a free Disney weekend. Right. And then it was just, it was a show where, uh, it's hard to explain. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. There were kids and they were incorporated. There was dancing and singing children. It was uh, like a Mickey Mouse club or something like that. But I want to say that it might be Canadian. Were the kids polite to each other? I mean, yes, but, well, this is before the Disney, Disney, um, the current Disney batch of shows that teach kids to be terrible human beings. Just rude. But yeah, I, I have to say about the film that I really, I enjoyed it once it got going. As I said in the very beginning, I felt that it was very kind of sitcom-y. But I also understand that it was setting up its world, and once you got into that, it was turned out to be very funny. And you did care about what happened to the people, these characters. They might have been shallow at times and superficial, but they were also terribly funny, and Shara has an actual predicament. And Alicia Silverstone, I understand that she did not have a career that went on for a long time. She sort of retired early from the film industry and making appearances in commercials now, I guess. But she actually was really vulnerable and likable. And I, I, I guess maybe that's the best thing to do when you have a film like this that becomes a cult favorite. You really don't have to pursue it anymore. It's like, no, I'll just be myself for the rest of my career. And yeah. Go on that way rather than trying to top it all the time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I actually appreciate the film. It was, it was much better than I expected. You think I'm going to make you watch a crappy movie? No, I don't think I'm going to make you watch a crappy movie. <laughs> I just think that there are some movies I'm not going to get. And I've... Um, well, I've, I, and I wish I had known before we watched this, instead of halfway through, that you'd never seen any teen comedy movies. Because this is not... This is one to build on that, not mm-hmm. to start it. Right. Uh, As a matter of fact, I don't think I saw many even films with teen protagonists at all. 
I feel like I'm going to make you watch a bunch of teen movies now. Mm, Maybe we just have to watch not another teen movie and we'll have watched all of them. I've no, never seen any I of those spoofy movies. I won't get that because I think I hadn't seen enough I, of it. I think to, that's probably right. Right. It's like I won't get what the, the joke is all the time. I saw a film on Netflix that was based in part on a uh, This American Life. As a matter of fact, it's produced by the people at This American Life. A story they covered a number of years ago on Carlton Pearson, who is an evangelical minister. Bishop. Bishop Carlton Pearson, who is an evangelical minister who had a very large integrated church. He was part of Oral Roberts' organization. And then at sort of the height of his popularity, he drops off the map, at least according to my mom's people. He just sort of disappeared, even though he was everywhere for a while. And then I heard about uh, his story on This American Life, how he had an epiphany and uh, believed that he had been spoken to by God about the nature of the afterlife and punishment and hell. And he does, introduces very abruptly in his church, this very large integrated church, um, the notion of, well, I won't go into the theology of it, but just that God is not a God who punishes people. Yeah. Can I go into the theology of it? Because it's what I always thought and then I got confused. Okay. And so I was not raised in a religious household Mm -hmm. uh, in any way, but... When I heard the story of Jesus, my understanding was he died mm-hmm. for our sins. Right. And I say thank you, <laughs> but he didn't. He didn't hang on the cross and yell, "Say my name, say my name." Like this, right. I have to accept Lord, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And people in Africa who are born without knowledge of Jesus, mm. who are dying by the thousands in famine and right. Um, illness and never get a chance to say Jesus's name or right. understand Jesus because he's not there right. and, and the and churches are there. Uh, I, I couldn't understand, well, then they're going to hell. Right. I'm not, I'm not down with that. I don't understand that. Right. So that which was, is the point that Bishop Pearson makes in his church and empties half of it. And so it's kind of about this very public fall from grace where he's distanced from his evangelical supporters, he's distanced from his popularity community because he's taking this stand saying, he believed God spoke to me and told me this. Right. And, and uh, I'm backing it up with pieces right. of scripture. I'm opening the book and reading these things. Right, and he is. He's taking a lot of it from, and, and again, you know. Yeah, we don't um, have to go in on a deep dive, but I, the... That, that's another podcast. The thrust <laughs> is, yes, podcast. exactly. The thrust <laughs> is um, that he stops believing really stops believing in hell. Right, or hell as we understand it. As we understand it. I think if you called Mm -hmm. yourself an avowed Christian, sinned very badly, Mm -hmm. and then were not remorseful about it, it, say you knew Jesus and decided to, you know, double finger him and (laughs) just be like, I don't give a fuck about (laughs) you, (laughs) then maybe you go to hell. (laughs) But but innocence... Discuss what Don't. was discussed, and this is again something that isn't even is a construct created that's outside of the Bible too. Which, right, you know we can have a discussion about the Book of Romans sometime. But anyhow, anyhow, um, so that's what the but but the film is actually really good because it covers this guy's struggles and unexpected great performances. Jason Siegel, yes. Who really? He's in this, and he's very good. Very good in this film, and I did not. He expect cracks it. 
Not a single joke. Not a single joke. It has to get through a conversation without a single profanity, which is another thing. True. Although um, he was on television for a long time, so... Right. But he, he completely changes his persona and gives a performance. And a solid performance. And everyone does good. Um, Martin Sheen's performance of Oral Roberts. And something I would like people to understand, there's nothing in this film that's done in a spirit of mockery. No. There's nothing in this film where it's you're making fun of these people because what he's doing is you're watching a person's not crisis of faith where they lose their faith. They just lose the kind of rigidity that, that they had yeah. and the certainty that they had. And uh-huh. the people around them lose faith in him. Right, exactly. Because they're not looking towards their faith. They're looking at this guy to represent for them. And when he suddenly isn't sure, then they all sort of go spilling off in all directions. But it's also about the acceptance of a different kind of thing that winds up saving his life and his marriage and ends mm-hmm. up turning him to a different kind of person. Yeah. Some of the stuff in the film is heartbreaking. His gay worship leader. Yes. Who he's Played by to... um, Lakeith Stanfield, who right. we may know if you are a smart person and have seen Get Out. <laughs> who actually has some of Be the Be a most... smart person and go see Get Out. <laughs> some of the most soulful, weepy eyes I have ever seen. He does have hangdog <laughs> He, and a hang dog he does this broken heart, worried about my soul thing really mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Because he's a man who's gay, but refusing to Live, act on his impulses. Live, act gay. Live gay. Right. Living gay. What was it? I, I can't Being gay is one thing. Living gay is a different thing. Right. So the fact that he's just sort of living stifled in this sort of horrible... Because he is petrified of right. hell. Right, exactly. And so it's a, a really interesting movie. It's a compelling movie. It's a compelling story. And whether or not you agree with all of what goes on there, it's a really honest story. Be aware, there's a lot of church singing in this movie. Yes. Like a lot, a lot. Like a, a whole singing. bunch. <laughs> I watched the whole movie. I didn't think I was going to. I enjoyed I, it. I, I, It was an interesting story, well told. She would tell IGF4 was excellent because he's... He's also pretty much always creepily. Can I, I don't mean creepy in a bad way. It's just odd how much I lost him in the movie. Like in the right. whatever they were doing to him from the side, especially he did not look like he himself. Apparently, like he a, looked like this guy. He looked like Carlton Pearson. And he looks like an odd conflation of the two because Carlton Pearson's a really short guy. But um, but anyhow, maybe that's why they cast Jason Segel. Maybe that, it could be as the man that would stand next to him because Jason Segel's like six five or something right. like that. So that he would look. Taller, he makes an average man look like a short man. But it was a really, it was a really interesting film, and it was, it's very moody. It's not. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's a Netflix yeah. original film, right. and it came to Netflix, I think, on the thirteenth of April. Right. We saw it the day after it premiered, so it was actually a very good film. I really liked it. Awesome. So my recommendations are going to be twofold. Um, one, if you are haven't been to the movies in a while and you want to go to the movies and you like monsters. I like monsters. And you like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Then you should go see Rampage. I did. <gasps> so that's a fun it's fun. Um people on the internet are making a joke that it's the best video game adaptation film that there's ever been. And yeah, the bar for that is soups low. I have not seen the new Tomb Raider film. I know one of my problems with that film is not going to be her breast size, which apparently is a ongoing complaint. Fuck you, everybody. <laughs> uh, but this one was super fun. And it had, I wish, I do wish, there's Joe Mancinello, Mr. Uh-huh. Sofia Vergara, werewolf from 
Mr. Werewolf from True Blood, a very large, very attractive man, never on the same screen as uh, The Rock, and I would have liked to see them together at some point. (laughs) I was mentioning to Amity, this is like Predator. It's the big guy movie where everyone is well over six feet tall, and they all kind of like get up in each other's face. And there's lots of staring down. Specifically, it's The Rock versus uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, which is really interesting. Right. Because Jeffrey Dean Morgan is really coming into his own in his late career as a dick. Like, he's an asshole in everything. Less of an asshole in this. Right. Asshole up front. He's not swinging any kind of weapon in this movie. He does maybe shoot some people. But he's, he's actually a sympathetic character in this film. He is. And Although it's unclear at the if, beginning. Uh, I'll put it this way. If you're unhappy that you're going to have to wait so long to see the next Godzilla film, this will make you happy. Yeah. Is a watch this. Watch Pacific Rim up. Right. This is a... And I, I just find it terribly funny that after years of my childhood spent loving this kind of stuff, that it's... Kaiju has gone mainstream. Yeah. That's just so weird to me. Like, there's a whole other generation of people who are enjoying it. I'm going, oh, I thought this was my thing, and (laughs) you guys are all weirding me out. We like monsters, too. Uh, And the second thing that I'm going to recommend is in my uh, my cultural um, resolution, New Year's resolution, was to watch all of Anna Kendrick's movies Mm. this year. I've seen many of them, so I'm going to rewatch the ones that I have already seen. Um, But I just saw the movie The Hollers. And I watched it, A, because it's an Anna Kendrick movie that's on the list of Anna Kendrick movies I have to see, and B, because John Krasinski directed it. I had thought that A Quiet Place was the first thing that he directed, but it is the fourth thing that he has directed. And so I was like, oh, it has John Krasinski in it, and Anna Kendrick in it, and John Krasinski directed it. I'm already in. What's that you say? It also has Richard Jenkins in it, and also Charlotte Copley, and also Charlie Day, and also Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I am definitely going to watch the shit out of this movie. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. So I watched it. Um, I thought it was a little bit uneven, but it was an entertaining watch, and all of those people are doing excellent work. And the woman that plays the mom, what's her name? You, do you know her name? No, I don't. I just know her face because she's everywhere. Yeah, she's um, really super good. Margot Martindale plays the the uh, matriarch of the family, and she's wonderful in all of the things. And she's like the heart of this family. It's very good. I do recommend checking it out if you're at home and it's a thing that's available to you. It's not in theaters. It came out in 2016. I watched it on a free uh, trial of stars that mm-hmm. I got for seven days that we got originally so that we could watch this movie, Clueless. Yeah. And so I still had access to it and The Hollers was on there. It might also end up being on Amazon Prime or something like that, but I watched it on stars. So it's a, you know, it's a family uh, son goes home because of a family illness uh, movie, think Zach Braff's Garden State, think Orlando Bloom's movie that I can't remember the name of. It's an, it's you know, indie film about um, a white boy who goes home for a little while. <laughs> which is actually a good, a better film than it gets credit for, Elizabethtown? Elizabethtown. Right. Uh, yeah, no, which I've actually heard Mary that Cameron it's pretty Crowley. good. Oh, see, that's why. Well, that was a, it was released 
and then a different cut was provided to audiences. It was much better. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and so the, the reviews were for one yeah. movie. And the, well, there is a there comedy. is a theme of these films. There's mm-hmm. another movie actually that is a, uh, I believe, a similar theme. With John Cho in the lead role, um, called Columbus, which I'm trying to find so that I can watch it. So that's, I think, it for me. It for you? Yeah. All right. So next week we're going to watch Pretty in Pink. Ooh, don't sound so excited. <laughs> no, I was, uh, almost crossed myself. <laughs> I just myself. need a break from the 70s where everything is well, terrible. This, yeah, the 70s films <laughs> we've seen have been just, uh, by and large, really harsh. Yeah. There was, was a lot of harshness. From so. a decade where, the, especially the early part, was don't trust anyone, look over your shoulder all the time. It was a very paranoid decade. This is Watergate in Vietnam yeah. and a bunch of bad stuff. So, so I think um, these little these high school things will break it up. We'll do a compare contrast maybe with Pretty in Pink too. Pretty in Pink and Taxi uh, Driver. Clueless. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> well, we'll maybe maybe <laughs> Taxi Driver. Taxi we have to watch driver. Pretty in Pink and see what happens. Or um, Cowboy. <laughs> if you, ooh, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be comparisons that could be drawn there. Hopefully. If you would like to find us, we are on the interwebs uh, at Latecomers Pod on Twitter, uh, the Latecomers on Facebook. We've got a group and a page. Come on over. Um, if you like us, please let Apple Podcasts know in their review section. Uh, even if you just want to give us some stars, we like stars. You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. If you didn't catch my appearance on the awesome Back to the Futurama, please check out their episode, uh, 300 Big Boys, uh, and then subscribe to that show. It's real good. And uh, Lemuel's book is at Ceiling Night. Is Ceiling Night a at Amazon? I'm not saying that word because I don't think it's real. It's a real word. And then what else? I think that's everything. That's everything for now. And we thank the Freak Show. Nope. We thank the Freak Fandango Orchestra every week week. (laughs) because I'm never going to write it down. So I just have to remember it. All right. We thank the Freak Fandango Orchestra for our regular theme song. I may not use it. I might cut in some muffs in this one, but we'll see. Uh, That's late as usual. And we will see you next week when we talk about Pretty and Pink. So remember, better late late than than never. never. (laughs) 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 (laugh